And the fourth word from the cross is abandonment. We started with forgiveness. God is always the first mover. Forgiveness made a way. We can never earn it. There is nothing that we can do to deserve it. Christ offered us forgiveness. Father, forgive them. For those who believe, salvation is assured. Sin is conquered. Salvation gives us adoption into the family of God. We have relationship with Jesus. We have relationship with our Heavenly Father. But today, we are looking at the defeat of darkness. How Jesus voluntarily experiences the full force of the power of sin. The full consequences of the suffering of sin. That we otherwise would have, should have experienced. Thinking about the fullness of the powers of darkness, Jesus broke open the gates of hell. He destroyed the power of sin and fulfilled the law. The experience of cross was not just physical, not just mental, not just emotional, but it was spiritual. So through hearing this word today, let us pray for understanding and let ourselves be empowered to follow him. In order to hear, it's good for us to be aware of what was happening, to try and imagine the moment, to try and place ourselves into that space where this event is occurring and to confront the reality of the cross. The words that Jesus speaks are from Psalm 22. And as Peter puts it in 1 Peter 1 and verse 11, which is a really nice, easy verse to remember, the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow is really the story of Psalm 22. And it can be no doubt that while David wrote the psalm, it certainly was not about him. It was about the coming Messiah, the coming King. In a few moments, we're going to listen to Psalm 22 being read. When Jesus cries out these words, he's quoting Psalm 22. And in particular, I want you to listen and pay attention maybe to verse 18 and verse 7 and 8 and verse 1. Events and moments that directly occur at the crucifixion. There are so many prophecies in the Old Testament that are fulfilled through Christ. And down the front, I have some copies of 21 in particular, prophecies that were spoken that Jesus fulfilled through crucifixion. Amazing. To just try and see eight of those prophecies fulfilled, the chances of that occurring are 1 in 10 to the power of 17. That's 17 zeros. 21 certainly was what this researcher identified. Jesus quotes Psalm 22 in a sense of being fully aware of his own humiliation, being fully aware yet confident in prayer to God. Christ knew suffering, Christ knew torment. So as you hear this psalm read this morning, fix your thoughts and imagination upon Christ. Christ knew weakness, yet strength was his. Christ experienced death, yet life was never taken from him. Jesus gave himself. And after the reading of this psalm, we will watch a short video clip 
So I'd like to invite Mia and Sarah to come and read to us Psalm 22. If you can turn there in your Bibles, that would be great. Um, So as Uncle Ben said, Psalm 22, um, verse 1 to 31. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you, and you rescued them. They cried out to you and were saved. They trusted in you, and you were never disgraced. But I am a worm and not a man. I am scorned and despised by all. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads, saying, Is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. The Lord loves him so much. Let the Lord rescue him. Yet you brought me safely from my mother's womb and led me to trust you at my mother's breast. I was thrust into your arms at my birth, and you have been my God from the moment I was born. Do not stay so far away from me, for trouble is near, and no one else can help me. My enemies surround me like a herd of bulls. Fierce bulls of Bashan have hemmed me in. Like lions, they open their jaws against me, roaring and tearing into their prey. My life is poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength has dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks out to the roof of my mouth, and you have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs, an evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. O Lord, do not stay far away. You are my strength. Come quickly to my aid. Save me from the sword. Spare my precious life from these dogs. Snatch me from the lion's jaw and from the horns of these wild oxen. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among the assembled people. Praise the Lord, all you who fear him. Honour him, all you descendants of Jacob. Show reverence, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. He has not turned his back on them, but he has listened to their cries for help. I will praise you great in the assembly. I will fulfill my vows in the presence of those who worship you. The poor will eat and be satisfied. All who seek the Lord will praise him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. The whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. For the royal power belongs to the Lord. He rules all the nations. Let the rich of the earth feast and worship. Bow before him, all who are mortal, all whose lives end at dust. Our children will also serve him. Future generations will hear about the wonders of the Lord. His righteous acts will be told to those not yet born. They will hear everything about, they will hear about everything he has done. Mother, this is your son, Jean. 
This is your mother. My God. My God. Why have you forsaken me? Heavenly Father, let us hear your voice this morning. Let your Spirit speak to our hearts. Give us understanding and help us to follow you. Amen. This incredible moment, this incredible saying from the cross is loaded with everything of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Is a cry from Jesus, a cry from him, a cry to his father. Darkness across the land, soldiers were guarding, people were crying and other people were jeering. Dice being rolled to see who wins the garments of Christ. And Jesus cries out these words. For six hours, Jesus has been enduring the cross. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. And when Jesus spoke these words, it was three o'clock. For six hours, our Lord endured physical torment, real physical torment. For six hours, our Lord could not find any position of comfort or relief. His body was covered in wounds, sweat, blood, bruises. The nails in his wrists and feet were pushing on nerves and tearing at his flesh. I'm not a doctor, but there are some in here who are. And there's a nerve called the median nerve. And every time Jesus moved, this nerve was hit, causing excruciating pain as the pressure built up. In the, in the body of Christ. And in order to relieve that pain, Jesus would have to push himself with his feet to re reduce the pressure on his arms and on his hands. And as he would push himself up, of course, the nail in his feet would tear away at his flesh, causing excruciating pain. And every time Jesus would move up and down the cross, his back would rub against the rough fibres of that timber with fresh blood flowing over and over and over again. And not only that, but in order to breathe in that position, you need to create room for your lungs to expand. And so as you're in a position of the cross to allow your lungs to expand, you have to push yourself up, lift yourself up. And so you don't want to do that because it's painful. But as the oxygen reduces in your body, your body begins to cramp. And the cramping effect of the muscles puts pressure on all of those places where the nails have pierced. Terrible, terrible cramping in the body of our Lord. The only way to try and get some relief is to take in oxygen again. But that process 
continues the cycle of torment over and over, minute after minute, hour after hour. Deep, relentless, throbbing, unending, joint-rending pain. It's important for us to remember that the Bible has a high view of creation. The physical matters to God. The physical matters. The physical is important to our Heavenly Father. He created it. We were to treat creation well. We were to look after it. We were to tend to it. We weren't meant to plunder it. We were meant to steward it. The earth matters to God. All of creation matters to Him. We must see this in Jesus who came and endured fully as a human being, yet also as God. The physical matters to God. The Bible has a high view of creation. The Bible has a high view of humanity. For the last three hours, up until this saying, it's been dark. This is almost as dark as I can make the room. It's dark. Creation, as Paul wrote in Colossians, said that all things are made for Christ, through Christ, in Christ. All things. All things. And the Prince of Heaven is in this place. Of darkness. The Son of the Living God is imbibing darkness. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? It was a cry more than a physical suffering. It was a cry of the fulfillment of his vocation, the fulfillment of his purpose, the fulfillment of what he was here to do. To suffer and experience complete separation. This cry was one that was spiritual. The darkness of this moment was the removal of hope, or so it seemed. It was the hopelessness of sin which Jesus was tasting. And we should take incredible, careful note of sin, how terrible sin is. All sin is terrible. We unknowingly and unwittingly develop rankings of sin, don't we? Some sin is worse than other sin. I find myself just falling into that trap. I find myself falling into that that trap where I'm not so bad because there's rankings of sin. And I forget that I still need my feet washed. That's why I love communion each week. It reminds me that I need my feet washed. It reminds me that I need His forgiveness. Sin is a terrible, terrible thing and we don't really know the fullness of its terribleness. Sin, in part, is a mystery. 
Missing the mark means we are failing to reflect the image of God, the humanity that we were created in and for, the reflection of our Heavenly Father. Terms like big sin and small sin aren't helpful. The moralizing of sin does not help us in any way, shape or form. The overarching aspect of sin is that we have missed it. We cannot reflect our Creator. We need a Saviour. The problem with missing the mark is we find it so easily to find a cheaper or an easier or a simpler way to live or to think than to live up to the image of God whom we have been created for. It's almost like there's a a desire for a collusion of the forces of darkness we're not even fully aware of. Jesus is tasting the impact of missing the mark. Jesus is, is, is tasting the powers of darkness gripping his life, his soul. As a side note, darkness is very interesting in the scripture. Could you imagine being freed from Egypt and going through the Red Sea, having the walls of the water around about you? It would have been a bit dark in there. Noah's Ark would have been a bit dark, raining 24-7, inside the ark with no battery backup. Jonah and the fish, it would have been dark inside. I'm not aware of an LED setup in fish. In the lion's den, I'm, I'm almost sure there was no light switch in there. Darkness is in Scripture. And the stories that I've just mentioned of people coming through darkness. Something maybe to look at in your spare time. I'm not trying to create some sort of theological rationale for darkness per se. But I just want you to note that darkness has real meaning in Scripture. In fact, darkness was a struggle to wrestle with in first century. Darkness was a, a struggle to try and describe anything but God. Darkness was a word that they used. It's hard to really describe it. I think it's still hard for us today. You'll find more books than ever trying to wrestle with the powers of sin and how Jesus overcome it. There are aspects of it that are just mystery. Genesis began when God created heaven and earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness. But what was hovering above the waters? The Holy Spirit. This, in Scripture, the idea of darkness was there from the start. But it's important to really see and understand that Jesus is dying in darkness. The very nature and consequence of sin Jesus is tasting. The Lamb of God experiences the abandonment of sin to the full. The abandonment of his soul as the powers grip the life of Christ. How can we possibly think? How can we have the audacity to possibly enter into a full and complete understanding of what Jesus was doing? How can we possibly think we would be able to comprehend its totality. We, we, we ought to just stand in awe. 
we ought to bow our knee in awe. We, we, ought, to, we ought to just stop and just take in the awesomeness of what Jesus was doing. The darkness is all around the cross. It's the clearest picture of sin that we have. Sin is suffering, condemnation, powerlessness, hopelessness, abandonment. Sin, at its most simplest, is a failure to comply with the first commandment. Exodus 20, chapter 3. You shall have no other God but me. You shall have no other God but me. And turn to the left or turn to the right, but turn to me. Don't try in your own strength, but stand in my strength. No other God but me. Sin is grounded in unbelief and idolatry, a false spirituality that is aligned with the powers of darkness. This same darkness fell across the land. And this word darkness is also used in John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, from verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world, sorry, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. Their actions were evil. People love darkness more. The land is completely dark as Jesus is dying and giving his life. This darkness has power. Paul often writes through his letters and personifies sin often as power. If you're taking notes and scripture references, you can write these down. Paul talks about people being under the power of sin. Romans 3.9, 1 Corinthians 15.56, Galatians 3.22. Paul puts it even more succinctly and says that people are under sin in Romans 7.14. Paul says that people are enslaved to sin. Romans 6, 6-7, 16-18, and chapters... Uh, sorry... Uh, chapter 7 and verse 14. That this power, this sin, leads to death. Romans 5, 12 and 21. Chapter 6 and verse 23. And 8. Chapter 8 and verse 2. Romans is a huge book. Where Paul unpacks so much of what happened on the cross. Sin exercises dominion. It exercises its power. In Romans 5, 21, 6, 12 and 6, 14. The mystery of darkness, the work of darkness, the powers of darkness were fully present at the cross. Darkness encompassed the entire land. Jesus was alone in darkness 
The mystery of darkness that covered the lamb was maybe a picture of the evil, presuming to witness its victory over Christ. Jesus, the light of the world, now enveloped by the darkness, now enveloped by the sin of the world. Jesus was tasting it. He was taking it to his soul, to himself. Jesus, the light of the world, now in darkness. The relationship that Jesus knew, Father God, that relationship was being impacted. The fullness and the effect as the Lamb of God took sin and experienced the consequences of sin, abandonment, separation, being disconnected from our Heavenly Father. The darkness is having its moment of dominion, or so it thought. And Jesus said in John 3, Sin is grounded in unbelief and idolatry, a false spirituality. Anything that exhibits any other way of living but for the image of God. The problem for darkness, though, was that it couldn't contain Christ. The problem for darkness, though, was that death could not hold Christ down. You see, though the world was dark... The light of Christ never went out. It might have been hard to see to an observer, but it was there. It never went out. So you see that when Jesus cries out these words, Father, why have you abandoned me? It's a quote, it's a declaration of Psalm 22. It's a declaration of his light, that he is still the light of the world in spite of the darkness and all its terror. The only way that the world continues into eternity is through Christ and his light. Jesus took the darkness and the power of sin and freed us. Paul says it this way. He says, he has set us free from the law of sin and death. We can miss this declaration in these words my God, why have you abandoned me? We, we can miss this light where everything seems so dark. We can miss it. But I want to show you that it's there. When Christ cries out these words, what does he say? My God, my God, almighty God. Jesus begins his awareness of his separation with my God. My God. This is an incredible declaration. This is an incredible statement of faith. This is an incredible trust in his heavenly Father. That in spite of all of the torment and the darkness enveloping him, Jesus still cries out, My God. And not just my God, my almighty God. When Jesus is experiencing separation and the place that we should have had, what we should have gone through, when he takes that to himself, his cry is still, my God, my almighty God. Almighty God was above 
the separation Jesus was experiencing and feeling. Almighty God was above the pain and suffering and torment of Christ. Almighty God was above all things, was sovereign, was going to be the victor over death. Almighty God was above forsakenness, was above separation, was above abandonment. This is a statement of trust above the very reality and torment of terrible, terrible sin. God is not intimidated by death. He's not intimidated by suffering. God is not intimidated by sin. He took it head on. He took it with his body. He took it with his spirit. And used the words, my God, my God, my God. God, through Jesus, identifies with death and suffering and sin. And so to quote Psalm 22, to quote this line from the scriptures, Jesus is also quoting the entire passage. The victory of God over sin and death and darkness. You see, for Jesus, the temptation to come off the cross, he overcame it. For Jesus, the first commandment remained that God was his God above all other gods. My God, my God. There was an easier way, surely. Have you ever asked the question, why the cross? Wasn't there an easier way? Wasn't there a better way? Wasn't there another way? Why the cross? Why to be forsaken? Yet Jesus said, my God, my God, I will have no other gods before me. Powerful, powerful stuff. Powerful statement of victory among misery. Love and justice and salvation at work together. Through Christ, this spiritual battle that was taking place, a physical battle, emotional battle, which Jesus gave himself to fully. How can we follow Jesus? How can we follow him with what he's done? Jesus has dealt with the totality of sin. Jesus has dealt with all the reality that sin can muster and offer. But importantly, Jesus has also dealt with the wise that we ask. The reality for the followers of Christ is that we need to do the same thing that Jesus did with our wise. The cry of Christ was, Father, why have you forsaken me? To follow Jesus means to place God above our wise, to place God above our suffering, to place God above our uncertainty and the hopelessness that we feel and the darkness that we can find ourselves in. Almighty God is the answer to depression, is the answer to sickness, is the answer to insecurity, is the answer to when we don't feel good or right or satisfied. To follow Jesus means to really explore and know Psalm 22. That when Jesus felt ignored and felt alone, when no one was around, when we feel ignored, when we feel alone, when we feel that there's no answer to anything we pray, what can we say? We can say, yeah, but Lord, you are holy. But Lord, you are holy. Lord, 
people have trusted you and you have saved them. You are holy in spite of what I know and what I feel. You are holy. Or what about when our reputation is being affected or our self-esteem or self-worth is under attack? When we feel despised and we feel like a worm. What do we do with that? Why? Yet you are my God. You brought me safely from my mother's womb. You have been my God from the moment I was born. You're wise. Our Lord God Almighty is above. Fully and totally. Or what about in the powerlessness and abuse and suffering when the enemies are all surrounding us and when our life is poured out and our heart feels like it's melting? When hands and feet are pierced, when the clothes are being divided, yet will I proclaim my God. Yet will I honour my God. Yet will I praise my God. And yet will I fulfil my vow. Because on that day, when we stood up and we accepted Jesus and we believed in him and we experienced eternity and life, on that day, we made a vow. When the moment comes in our life, let not our wise climb above our almighty God. When the battle comes, let not the why climb above almighty God. When the struggles and the pressure and the suffering come, let not our wise go above almighty God. But let us honour our vow. Let us fulfil what we know. Let us trust in Jesus. Let us trust in him. Why darkness? Why suffering? The reality and the mystery of the cross, yet the hope and the victory of the cross. My almighty God, this little candle never went out. Darkness invaded and it could not snuff out the light of the world. Jesus took it all, and yet this candle continues its light. And now we carry this light within us. This light has spread far and wide across the world. Light is not dead. Darkness has not won. We are carriers of victory. We are carriers of of abandonment defeated by our almighty God. We carry that this morning. We carry that because Jesus carried us. Would you stand with me, please? I'm going to read a passage from Hebrews. You might want to read with me or just say it in in your mind. It's from Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 to 10. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, 
He learnt obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest. He became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you cried out the words, My almighty God, why have you forsaken me? That you were not spared the very worst and terribleness of sin. That you experienced everything sin had to offer as a consequence. That Jesus, you endured the torment of the cross in its totality. That you knew abandonment. You knew the end game for the powers of darkness. You knew it. And yet you cried out, My almighty God. Lord Jesus, help us to follow you. May we know that some of those things we will never have to taste. We will never, ever know the fullness of the power of darkness at work upon us. For you have taken that for us. Lord Jesus, we love you. May we always have above all things my almighty God. Because you are our eternal high priest interceding for us for all eternity. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we love you. And everybody said, Amen.